On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Happening, everybody. Welcome into an all new episode of the Tall Can Audio podcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio, Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. I've now said those three words today already like five times, but 800 times. We're here on episode 800. Matt over here, Rob over there. What's going on, man? 800. Can you imagine? The 800 pound gorilla. Yeah, in the room. Yep. Right, right next to the. 4,000 pound white elephant right in front of the microphone <laughs> <laughs> breathing hard as we speak <laughs> um yeah 800 man that's super impressive right who would have thought listening back to tall can audio audio whiplash number one number one and you're like that's trash never doing this again those, <laughs> well, no one's ever going to listen to that no. so what are we going to do right so 800 that's a big beefy number man means at least what 12 to 1300 beers <laughs> oh I, I don't i don't recall ever doing a show where there was wasn't two beers a show i, I don't i don't know that well, i have for too a many while we kept shows. them shorter right they'd be 30 35 minutes for a whiplash 35 uh, minutes for that's, a sport. That, that's that's true that's true the, the benchmark was if we could hit 30 minutes of yeah Air, air quotes, high quality audio. Yeah, let anybody else be the judge of that. <laughs> Which meant, yeah, initially on, somebody else was having to edit out large portions of bullshit. Mm. Rob's five bathroom breaks. Miss you, Brian. Because now yeah. it's me editing out Rob's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost exclusively Rob's bullshit that lies on the editing floor. But, uh, you know, 800 episodes later, here's looking at you, kid. What are you drinking to mark the occasion? Well, Ah, you know what? I am drinking. It's called Riverboat. It is from Riverboat Fantasy. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sun beaten down like a something, something. Anyways, like like a yeah, like a Paris high school dance party (laughs) with David Wilcox. Um, which will be fitting for later in the show. You'll all know why. Um, yeah, from Henderson, which is out of Toronto, Henderson Brewing Company. Mm Mm-hmm. I am drinking what they're calling a coffee saison. Oh. Right. And so for for those of you beer nuts out there, right, a saison is usually sort of it's 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 crisp, 
it's it's sometimes juicy, a little spicy, right? So I'm super interested in seeing how coffee blends in with that, right? Uh, my problem usually with saisons also is sometimes they feel like they're they've been you know um, run through a sweat sock that's already been used. <laughs> So not always in terms of the Belgians. I don't always go. That's not a go-to for me. Right. But uh, I was intrigued by the coffee saison. So I'm going to give this a pull and I'll let you know. Uh, I'm into, this is the, and I think we've had it before. I think we both tried it one day in the studio. Cheeky Bastard English Stout uh, from Nickelbrook. Nickelbrook. Yeah. Uh, down in Burlington. Um, first pull here, it's a little dry, maybe more than I would have remembered. Uh, it says it's an English stout. I don't really know what to do with that, but um, not a ton of personality. Now, to be fair, I've been coming off of a few Imperials, uh, some crazy gingerbread stouts and, you know, coffee, espresso, blondes and whatever else. So maybe it's a little unfair. Uh, this is fine, but nothing too special right off the hop. I, I think traditionally what you're looking at with your English stouts, you know, your UK stouts versus your American stouts. Mm -hmm. Is is your your UK stouts are usually a little sweeter? Okay, right that that is that is the that's going to be tough based on the stuff I've just run through. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I'm talking about your your traditional, and I, I think in terms of your, if you look at your Murphy's, your Murphy's Irish Stout, yeah. Pride of Cork County, Southern <laughs> Ireland, it, it to me is it's right there with Guinness, but I like Murphy's a little less because it is a pinch sweeter. Almost like I uh, could only drink five of these. <laughs> five really Whereas, had to power through. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the Guinness, oh, that you can go all day. That's sure. the true. That's the true session ale. No matter what anybody else <laughs> says about it, right? You can sit down and throw back a dozen of those guys and and be functionable and ready to go in the morning. To me, that's that's why Guinness on Untapped gets the five spot, right? Give that bad boy a five. But the that's Murphy's the high watermark, it, everybody's just trying to swim well, to that level. And, and that's what I said, right? Yeah. When I left my rating, I'm like, this is the beer that all other beers are measured against. That's what my dad um, did the exact same thing when he got his untapped briefly, which he long since has given up on. But Molson Canadian was the five and everybody was trying to <laughs> swim. To Honestly, man, in the, I don't know how many. Do we have any five pluses? Where are the five pluses? Um, and no one else touched it. Nobody else has gotten a five yet. All right. Well, and it's funny because I'm watching the hockey game the other day and on TSN, you see that, or I imagine it's everywhere now. You see the Molson Canadian, you know, uh, hockey's beer, yeah. our beer or whatever it is. And I'm like, Psh, that's garbage. Nobody <laughs> drinks that anymore, man. And and so the 12 year old in the room says, I think everybody drinks that beer. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, maybe 12 year olds drink that beer, <laughs> but, but I don't know anybody else who drinks that beer. And her um, eyebrow kind of... Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> really? Is well, that okay? It, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't actually say that no. to her. You got the shirt by the parenting cap on there. And um, it's funny because I listened to a nice show, nice, nice preview show you and uh, Steve Bunda and Graham Creech did for um, that was fun. UFC yeah. 259. Yep. And, and it's funny, I can't remember which one of the two guys were talking about buying a 24. Must have been Bunda. <laughs> but um, it's funny because it's one of those things where you go, who buys a 24 of beer anymore, right? With the well, most just about cripple you now with a, if you're into the craft stuff, you walk out with For a two sure. four, it's like 90 bucks or something. Like well, and, and I remember being, and I've told this story, I know on the, on air before, but being in Morrisburg. So that's 
take the take Bank Street turns into Highway 31 right out of Ottawa, and and Morrisburg is right on the St. Lawrence, so it's right off 401. Right. And we're there for a weekend, having a little family reunion. And I stopped by the beer store, and and we're parked in front of the beer store, and I see this woman coming out with 24 Labatt Blue. Nice. And I'm, and I'm like, where am I? Somebody man? else is having a family reunion. <laughs> what, have I have I been teleported back to the 80s? Like, what is happening here, right? In terms of, it's one of those things you go in and, and the beer still comes out on the roller. It's just yep. a little storefront. And it's it's that old school beer store. But yeah, the the novelty of a 24 of, of whatever in bottles, right? You just sort of. Well, I really think that that is one of the reasons, and it hasn't been good for me, that I've I've moved onto the rum so often now it's because you didn't used to think about it or i didn't i'd go grab 24 of whatever i was going to have you know and just bring it home and and that's what you drank for the weekend or for the next couple nights or whatever was going to go on but now you're like i got these beers and i'm kind of saving this one for the show and i you know you don't buy them in bulk so it's like i'll have one or two of these and then i'll just switch over to the rum and before you know it it's 8 30 and you're fine <laughs> Yeah. What well, two sheets it, to the wind. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because I have I have a small fridge downstairs that is really it's got green olives in it, a little bit of hot sauce, and then it's just beer, right? Nice. And so there's two shelves in sounds it. Sounds like my fridge, so, beer and mustard. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that sounds like my little my little spot in the fridge door. Yeah. Um, who put this Heinz <laughs> shit in here? Get out of here. Um but I, I, when I get my small batch dispatch, they come in twos. Right. So I throw the top shelf is exclusively beers that I have I have earmarked for the show. Yes. Anything on the bottom shelf, even if it's a duplicate, that's I can have. <laughs> that's that's anybody can have. Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's nice. Right now, I have about twenty pints on the top shelf, just waiting to be gone to through. Step but, up, step up production here. <laughs> Yeah, the, I, well, this is down when I'm down to the, just the one pot a week. It's, it's really, it's uh, gonna have to start piling back four beers per show. Well, this is this is it, right? So, doubling back to to this, my saison, mm. um, it doesn't, it has none of the you know the sweat sock effect. <laughs> That's nice. Um, okay, I, I really think it has not much of anything, it's, it's very carbonated. Yeah, I would say it comes in at 5.6 and uh. I'm not getting much of anything. It's hazy. It's in a pint glass because I wanted to see what it looked like. Um, but yeah, it's hazy like an IPA. It's very carbonated, but I'm not getting any coffee or any sort of spicy, fruity notes either, right? It's really, it's an okay drink. Right. But if you're looking for a little coffee in your saison, you would be disappointed with this. A little but bland. Again, well, just, it's, it's, it's sort of hazy, carbonated. Little hoppy, but that's it, right? right? And so, um, not bad, but not what I was expecting. Now, right. I am. It's funny you talk about the cheeky bastard because I am backing it up today with a uh, from Nickelbrook. I'm backing it up with the what is it called? It's the and we're looking at a very nice IPA. <laughs> that's ambitious. Um, yeah, optimistic. Now, I, I think it's it's looking at uh, it's it's low. It's about four point five, I think, alcohol. So in terms of an IPA, that's fairly low. Yeah. Um. So to me, that's more like that. I think Michaela was having a couple of weeks back. She was having a session IPA from Brock Street, which I have also had, which I wasn't loving. But this to me was what this smacks of. 
of a, of a sort of a, a session IPA if we can start to now bastardize and morph into a bunch of different things, right? Sure. Is, is your is your everybody sort of blending around in terms of of you know different styles of beer and whatnot? But that's what I'll be backing this bad boy with, right? So I'm going to move from the saison into a into more of a session IPA from Nickelbrook. And just cruise. And that's it. Just just let the show ride. Uh, we got lots to get to on this one. We're going to talk a little bit of hockey. We're going to talk a little bit of cartoon perversity. Uh, we got lots to do. Before we do any of that, the big news that um, that everybody's been talking about this weekend, and, and we're going to do the same, and we actually have a guest in a couple minutes that we'll, um, you know, we'll tee up in a second. But obviously Thursday night, uh, I'm watching the Leaf game late, and during one of the intermissions, uh, James Duthie announces the passing of Walter Gretzky. Um, and it seemed like pretty much everybody had a story. Everybody had thoughts. He's a guy that was maybe as well known as his son, which seems almost unbelievable. But, uh, you know, everyone, like I said, he seemed to have touched almost anybody, people on Twitter, just everywhere. Everybody had pictures with Walter. I was at this event. I was at that fundraiser. He was at our skate for this. It was um, all kinds of stuff like that, man. It was uh, obviously sad news. Um, when did you hear and, you know, what were your kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, I didn't hear it because I, I didn't stay up. The, the, the Sens did a good enough job of putting me to bed early because <laughs> they were they were down 4-1 after one to the Flames that same night. So I'll check on this in the morning. Yeah, yeah that's what I said. That seems like tomorrow morning's gig for me. So after one period, I was I was out. So I didn't hear till Friday morning. Oh, yeah. And um, sad, sad news, man. It really, in terms of, um, for me, watching watching the clips of of Wayne giving the eulogy and and Wayne said for me the takeaway is this and and probably everybody else's should be as well is when he said if there were more people like my dad in this world you know it would be a much better world and and I think anybody who met Walter would would agree with that 100% mm-hmm. and and so I I had met him a bunch of times but the first time I ever met him, I didn't meet him. Sorry, the first time I was ever in the same space with him was was in a Brantford McDonald's. <laughs> I had I had stopped in, and he was he was there, and I and I recognized him instantly. Right, you know, in terms still with the dark hair, yeah, look looking good. But everybody in the McDonald's treated him like he was their favorite uncle or their <laughs> grandfather or whatever, right? Whether it was Wally, whether it was Walter or Mr. Gretzky, whatever it was, right? But but so much it was Walter or Wally, right? Like everybody knew that guy, yeah. right? And so it, I met him a couple of years later and, and as recently as a couple of years ago, he and I were at a, at a function where we were a guest of honors, Rob Christie, Walter Gretzky. <laughs> handing out medals and and so the two of us this is it it's 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 walter and i handing out these medals and (laughs) and and i am very familiar with the team that's winning that's that's taking the silver medal home and in a in a fiasco of a gold medal game and i am i'm not coaching but i as somebody who's there to oversee it um and hand out the medals i'm fuming with what i've just seen in terms of of a gold medal game, right? I, I can't believe the shit show that I just saw. And these are 17, 18, and 19-year-old athletes. They're not super young. 
but Walter's there with me and, and the medals are getting ready to be handed out. And, and, and I'm thinking, fuck, what a, what a gong show. I can't. <laughs> Anyways. And so Walter says, he nudges me and he's like, look at that. Look at that boy. He's crying. And I'm like, I look over and I'm like, he's going to be <laughs> as an issue. And he should because yeah. he sucked horribly. <laughs> he may have been the best player in this tournament. And he was the worst in this gold medal game. It was to me. It was Walter's total for a guy who has, who has been part of the birthing process for the greatest hockey player ever. It, he was this very sincere and kind soul, and 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 it didn't matter what happened, he was there, and he just was looking at this at this nineteen year old kid who was who was busted up, and that's all he saw, and. And to me, I, I left that thinking, fuck Rob, could you not be a little bit more be like Wally? A little bit more empathetic, right? <laughs> but and 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 so I just was in all the times I met him, was just what everybody else is saying, right? What a kind, amazing, give your time to anybody, do whatever. Like you see him at Blue Jays games and he's signing shit for the whole nine innings. You see him at OHL games and we had he's season tickets like five rows behind one of the nets for years at the Leafs game. And I said this, you know, at, at, to a couple different people. How much must it suck to have season tickets behind Walter? Because the entire game is just people coming down, wanting to shake his hand, wanting to take a picture, and he'll stand there and talk all day. And, yeah. so, <laughs> and, it, and it was funny because somebody said, and I, and I can't remember over the past couple of days, you've heard so many different things, right? But somebody was saying it didn't matter, right? If he went to a, to a junior game and people were coming up to him all game long, he never wanted to leave any kid yep. feeling like they, they didn't get <laughs> crying his, his in own. Rob's wake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he didn't get the, he, they didn't get his a hundred percent attention. Right. And and it's funny because you look at at the when when the Hearst and and everyone was leaving the uh, the funeral in Brantford at St Mark's right close to his house, and there's all those kids tapping the sticks. Yeah. And and no matter what you think, right? You you have to have a bit of a jaded heart to to look at it as cheesy or whatnot. But the reality is, and Gino Retta I think mentioned it on 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 Sports Center, and and it was really well struck, right? That. Most of those kids tapping the sticks on the street never saw Wayne Gretzky play. No, right. Right. That these are kids in the Brantford area who saw Walter at their baseball games or saw Walter at their minor hockey games. Yeah. Like he was still a rink rat at 80 years old and he was just everywhere. And there wasn't a banquet or whatever that he wouldn't go to. And and again, I, I I've been there. I've seen him. Yep. You've seen him. Yep. And 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 you just sort of go, man, that's a guy who who could have moved and went anywhere, and just love Branford. And to me, he is he is at the end of the day, he is a true like jewel of Branford in terms of some of many of those. <laughs> no, for sure there is not in the armpit. There is one jewel nestled in there. Um, Somebody was on Ottawa radio who said, yeah, I grew up in Brantford and, and, and attended St. Mark's Anglican Church, which is where Walter went. And, and, and the way he put it was anybody who ever pumped gas in Brantford saw Walter Gretzky. Right. Like 
to me, he was omnipresent and giving of his time and wanted to stay just a, just a good Brantford guy. And so, yeah, to me, it's, it's, you, you lose a good one when you lose somebody like, like Walter Gretzky. Well, as you've referenced there, everyone seems to have a Walter story. Uh, but there's one I don't think that's been told very much. It's a relationship of Walters that uh, hasn't gotten a ton of attention. And Walter was always fine with that. Very humble man. Um, he didn't insist on the attention. But this relationship meant a great deal to the people on the other end. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, down in Brantford, uh, there is a school for the blind and visually impaired. It's called the W. Ross McDonald School. It's been there for I don't know, well over a hundred years now, uh, well known in, in Brantford. And, um, Walter had a very unique relationship with the place. Uh, he, he would come in, he would visit the students. Um, he would attend events for them. There's an award down there that he set up for them. He'd go skating with them, all these sorts of things. And it was incredible. The time that he would put in, there was never any PR, there was never any media. It was never something that was announced. It was something that he wanted to do to come by and spend some time with these kids. So when I heard the news on Thursday night that this had happened, there was only one person that came to mind for me that I wanted to speak to, that I thought could offer uh, some insight. It's a guy I've known since I was 12 years old, in uh, all the way back in 1995. Uh, his name is Mick Ferris. Mick works at the W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. He has for... Oh, like a hundred years. I'm sure you wouldn't mind me saying. Um, he's been there forever. Tremendous guy. Very involved in the residence and, and working with the school kids there. Uh, very involved in all of their sports programs. He's also been a dedicated volunteer to the Ontario Blind Sports Association, which has churned out countless Paralympians um, during the time that he's volunteered for them. Uh, also very tied into the Brantford sports scene, coached rugby. Uh, he's trained all kinds of hockey players, like just one of those guys who's kind of into everything, right? A uh, very humble guy. He doesn't like taking credit for almost anything, uh, but has put in a ton of work on a ton of different fronts. Uh, people know Mick Ferris and, and, and Mick knows everybody. Mick was very involved with, uh, even outside of, of the school, um, but on school grounds, occasionally W. Ross McDonald hosts different uh, events for different Paralympic sports throughout the year, like on weekends when students have gone home. And Walter would also get involved in those. He'd come in and essentially, you know, drop the first puck and, and be, be involved in, in, you know, different ceremonies that were going on. And Mick was always, you know, responsible for getting that kind of thing set up. So Mick knows Walter quite a bit and has seen him all the way through this relationship that Walter had with this school for the visually impaired for decades. Um, Walter would come in and, and Mick was around to, to see this. Mick was sometimes responsible for, you know, helping to set it up and just kind of watch this relationship bloom. And while we're talking about everyone having a Walter story and it's amazing, I, I thought this story should be told to. And there was only one person I wanted to turn to, to tell that story. Uh, Mick Ferris has been around to see the whole thing. Um, and just a wonderful guy, both uh, certainly Walter, but also Mick. And and like I said, Mick's humble. He doesn't like any kind of attention most of the time. He doesn't like being praised, but just an awesome guy. Um, and when this happened, he was the first person who came to mind that I was like, I want this story to be told about Walter, and I couldn't think of anybody better to tell it. I'm really grateful that he agreed to come on and do this. Uh, Mick, how are you doing today? 
Good, Maddie. Nice to chat with you. Yeah. Um, I, I think we want to spend most of our time here talking about, you know, the, the positive stuff Walter did and, and stuff. I don't want to dwell too much on, you know, the, the sad news we got this week, but just were you sort of, you're, you're well connected down there. You know what's going on in the sports scene in Brantford. Was, was it well known that this might be coming or did this catch you off guard like it did for me? No, I actually, um, it's interesting you said that because I got a phone call about a week ago from um, uh, Scott Rex, who's a local hockey guy here, who's really tight with uh, Keith Gretzky and Glenn. Right. And, and and I guess uh, they said that, um, you know, it, it was coming soon for Walter. And, and uh, um, I, I hadn't seen Walter since the lockdown, but the last time I saw him was at, at the school, obviously, and he'd come for the grad banquet. And you could see with the advanced Parkinson's and stuff that, um, um, you know, that Walter wasn't in the best of shape, but he's still a great guy and still doing his thing. But, but um, obviously like, I guess everything that's great is things have to come to an end at some point. And, and uh, I guess, you know, he's back with Phyllis now. I, I read that. Uh, I read what Wayne wrote this morning and, and I guess that sort of sums it up, you know, yeah. a great life, two years and, and uh, back now with Phyllis. So, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, I guess. Uh, you spent, uh, you know, years of your life, mo- your entire career there at the W. Ross McDonald School for the Visually Impaired in Brantford. Walter was a huge figure around the school. He was there all the time. Um, do you remember kind of when he might have first started coming around, like your earliest memories of that? What might have drawn him in the first time to, to become kind of part of that community? Well, uh, actually, I can tell you what what really happened. It was back, I, I believe, 1979 or 1980. And, and what happened was, and it's the story I always tell at the athletic banquet, um, Bobby Fenton, who was a student at the school, was a, Western, uh, was a Western kid, was going home. And for some reason, they were in the airport. Um, Bobby heard Wayne's voice. Bobby was totally blind and, and said, hey, that's Wayne Gretzky. And, and Wayne had come home. It was, I believe, over the Christmas holidays. So he was back from Edmonton. And, and Walter was there to pick him up and Wayne being, being who he was went over and started talking to Bobby and they built up a relationship. And, and I guess what happened was when, when on the way home from the airport in Toronto, um, Wayne decided he wanted to do something for the school because he always knew it was there and, and, and that's where it started. And it seemed like, a, you know, the next day Walter got in touch with, I believe it was Bill Euner, who was the resident supervisor at the time. And, and they decided that, you know, at the sports bank, we'd have the Gretzky's come in and speak. And, and Wayne wanted to do more than that, so so he, we uh, we got together with him, and, and and he decided that he wanted to uh, to give an award to, to to the to the athlete of the year, and also uh, have the trophy named after him. So that that's kind of where 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 the relationship started. And from there, uh, Wayne started the softball tournament they ran in the summer, then the golf tournament, and uh, he made sure that the school always got something out of it, and also CNIB. And from there, it was just a great relationship. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, and, and I got one sitting here, people can check it out, at Talking Audio on our Twitter and on our Instagram, these hockey stick benches and how that got started and, and how Walter became such an integral part of it. Yeah, uh, that's it, kind of a neat thing. Um, it's, it's hard for maybe some people to understand that at a school for visually impaired and blind students, they have a tech class. And uh, Walter started dropping off sticks. He'd show up at the school and... and, and, and uh, they started building benches and, and I, the first bench went into the Gretzky restaurant. Um, I have bench number 120 actually, okay. but uh, I, when, when I talked to Glennie, uh, the youngest of the, uh, the Gretzky boys, I guess 
Walter had a circuit. Like he just didn't go to the to the to the rink that were in Brantford. He'd go to all the local communities. So he was going out to Burford. He's going up to Paris, Galt, Cambridge, and 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 he'd have the people that ran the rink keep all the sticks that were broken, and Walter would just collect them and drop them off. And it wasn't like he just, you know, everybody has to see him drop them off. He just go to the back entrance where where the tech class was located, and, yeah. and it's something he just kept up doing forever. There and must, uh, um, there must have been hundreds of those benches went out. Like they for a couple of years there, they were a huge selling item. I can only imagine how many sticks he would have collected. And I'm sure to these rink owners and, and managers and whatever that when Walter Gretzky asks you for a favor, you probably do it. But to think of how many miles he would have put on driving around to grab these broken hockey sticks to bring in to the shop class, it was incredible. Well, it's amazing too. And, and from what I understand too, when Walter got to the point where he couldn't drive, he was grabbing one of. Uh, one of Kim's boys, one of his nephews, to take him around to collect the sticks. But yeah, like like I said, I, I have bench number one twenty. I when I got, the, I heard the news late last night, and and like everybody else, and the first thing I did was I went into my one office there, and and, and I lifted up my bench just to see. Uh, I'd forgotten what number it was, and and, and there it was with the, it's their number and their autograph by Walter. So it's something that I get. So it'll stay in my family forever. Yeah, uh, we have one sitting here uh, at our my parents' place as well. So. Um, yeah. What in general, like, do you, because he would just sometimes pop in. It wasn't always a, a banquet or a whatever. The students around there really seemed to always, like, it was such a big deal for them when Walter would come in to be a part of something, but it seemed to be every bit as, and this is the thing, I guess you keep hearing from everyone as they tell their Walter stories. He made you feel special, right? Like, when he walked into a room, you it felt like he wanted to be in that room and he wanted to make conversation with people and, the number of times there'd be people trying to drag him out. We got to get home. We got to get to the next thing. And he's still just standing there talking to everybody. Like, what was it like around there when, when Walter would come in? Well, it's just, I, I think he sums up really good there, Maddie. Like, like I think of, uh, I think at times, like, like besides just being at the school, but going to the rink with the kids and, and Walter would show up and, and uh, you know, imagine you're in the, you're in the dressing room with 20 kids and there's Walter and he's got the kids singing and dancing <laughs> and you're trying to tie up the skates. And it's like, it's just unbelievable. Like, like Walter just, just enjoyed being around people. And, 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 and I don't know anyone that ever met him that, that never went away with a smile on their face. Like I even think of like, you know, you were involved so much with the goalball tournaments that we have at the school and like the nationals or junior nationals. And, you know, Kim would drop, uh, Kim or Glennie would drop Wayne off at the school or sorry, would drop Walter off at the school, you know, nine o'clock Friday morning and a lot of times when you bring in celebrities for these things, for the opening ceremonies, they're gone right after. Yeah. But, you know, Walter would be there all day Friday, you know, enjoying his pizza. He'd drive him home Friday night and then remind him to show up Sunday for the sports banquet. But he'd be there all day Saturday. And and I think my best memories were the kids got a kick out of Walter. But I, I always, myself, it was always a neat thing to see Walter interact with uh, staff and coaches from other provinces. Right. That had never met him before, and 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 that's when I, I guess when you see Wally all the time, and and and, and you're kind of used to him, and you grew up with you grew up with that family, um, you don't realize just what an impact Walter made on other people, and it, and it, it, I think that to me that was the neatest thing, just to see, uh, you know, people like I said from other provinces meeting, you know, a lot of people don't get to meet celebrities, and 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 I think sometimes when you're from Brantford, you, you forget that Walter is a you know, a national celebrity. And it was just really neat to see how he would interact with people. I, 
I, I met Walter in 95, so I'm five foot nothing, like 90 pounds, yeah. and he's popping in from time to time throughout the years, and right before grade 11, maybe, um, I hit a growth spurt, and he comes up, and he says something along the lines of, oh, you've turned into quite the beast or whatever, and then after school, I disappeared for a while off to college, came back for an event at the school, and he happened to be there. And I don't know at the time if he remembered my name or anything like that, but he sure recognized me. And he walked up and he pokes me in the belly and goes, I see you found the beer. <laughs> like just little things like that. Like he just give you a little playful jab that showed he, even if he didn't have your name right off the top, he recognized you and he was, you know, kind of remembered you a little bit. Even though uh, when I did first meet him, he would say all the time, oh, I, I have trouble remembering since my aneurysm. But it always seemed he was doing better than he thought he did. You know, Walter was such a sincere person that, that I think it was really easy for people to, to understand that, hey, what, what this guy is telling you is the truth. He's sincere and, and he really likes you. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the thing that I, most people that have ever run into Walter will remember the most. Like, it's not just the time he took to have his picture taken or the sign things. It's just, he, you know, he, he would show an interest, yes. whether it was for a minute, if he saw you for a minute. Or if it, if he saw you for a half an hour or a day, like he was just a just that sort of person, just an incredibly sincere person. Uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. He had a hand, did he not, in buying the uh, the the new wrestling mats there in the '90s for the school? Yeah, well, a lot of that came out of the different tournaments that that him and Wayne set up at the school. I sorry, in Brantford, right? Like when they ran the softball tournament, when when they ran the golf tournaments. Uh, like I said, a lot of money went to the CNIB. But he always made sure that money came back to the school. Like I, I can remember, um, after the first couple of years, all of a sudden we had two new bands show up at the school, and then the wrestling mats, and and like I said, every every year for the Gretzky Award that we give out at the sports banquet, and if Walter didn't make it to the sports banquet every year, he'd make it to the graduation banquet to make the person who handled that award. Besides just the trophy, mm-hmm. you know, the student that won it, there was always something special for them, whether it was monetary or, or whether it was something that that the student was into like like just amazing uh the reason i i don't know if you'll remember this or not i'm sure you probably will i think it would have been 97 the w ross mcdonald school there and uh, just reiterate for the listeners it's a school for all visually impaired and blind students they won the brant county wrestling championships against all the other um sighted high schools in the district and it was a huge deal and i can remember that night and and this might have been the first year with those new wrestling mats that uh, that yeah. Walter had helped acquire, and he showed up to the celebration. I have no idea if somebody would have called him or if he'd heard, but it meant something to him that this school and that he had become part of their community, and he'd helped you know get those new mats for everybody. And then these guys, I remember your John and Chris Dunkerleys and and Peter Statnick yeah. and and these guys go out and they win Brant County wrestling championships, and he was right there to join in the celebration. I always thought that was really cool of him. Well, if there's one thing Walter loved more than hockey and his family was a party. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a party, there's going to be pizza, and and, and Wally, Wally would miss that. You got any, uh, you know, favorite Walter stories you might want to share with us? Well, I, actually, I, I do have one, and 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 it, it's more of a personal one. But uh, um, one of the different interests I have besides working at the school and, and hockey was a. Uh, I've also coached rugby for, for a large majority of my life. And, and at the school I coached at, Branford Collegiate Institute, um, we would go and we would tour Wales and Ireland every two years. And, and then the, the schools that we'd go to, they would reciprocate and come back to us. Um, the first year I went on tour with them, we went to uh, Camarthen, Camarthen Grammatical School. 
and, and it's located in West Wales. And, and the game before we played the game, uh, we went to the Carmarthen Athletic Club, and that's where the pitch was. And, and so we did a tour of their club because it was the local club. And, and, and I noticed that they had a, a big trophy case. And inside the trophy case, it was just filled with uh, memorabilia from all these famous sports people in Europe. There was a, a, a cleat from Pelé, the big soccer player. And then there was also like a basketball shoe from Wilt Chamberlain. I'm going, holy mackerel, how'd this guy get this? <laughs> anyway, we talked to the, uh, like, I guess the curator of the, uh, the club. And he just, he says, well, is there anybody famous from, from your area, Canada, in Brantford? And the coach I was with, Bob Booth, Bob said, go talk to Mick. And I sort of told him who Wayne Gretzky was. He goes, oh, the hockey guy. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I'm sitting there going, okay, great. Yeah, I can get you something. And I'm just thinking that. But when I got back to Brantford, I ran into Walter, and, and I had written out all the information about where the club was located, why they do this sort of thing, and Walter took it. And like everything else, because you'd have to write it out, Walter puts it in his pocket. And then um, I never thought anything of it. And then four years later, we're back at Camarthen Grammar School, um, go back to the same club to play the game, <laughs> and walk in there, and in the trophy case, there's a, there's a Wayne Gretzky, uh, it was his Nike skates with the blue blades. And I, I don't know how Walter did it. I'm sure Wayne has no idea. <laughs> I don't know if he just took him out of his bag or whatever, but uh, Walter had gone ahead and he sent a pair of skates over to this club and, and never mentioned it to me or anything like that to him. I, I, as you can imagine, I ended up having a pretty good evening that night in Carthen. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't bad at all. But uh, no, but, but I mean, that's just Walter. Like, like, uh, um, I, I don't think he really had a bad day, you know. And 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 and, and everything that Walter did, it was is kind of um, it wasn't for himself. It was for the people around him. And, and I think that's probably the most. I don't know. I think it's probably the, the one memory most people that knew him. Um, will have is the fact that, you know, Walter would do anything for anybody and he just, just a happy fella and, and, you know, just proud that he's from Brantford and, and I guess, uh, proud that I got an opportunity to know him as well. Yeah. For all those years, you'd go down to, uh, to Toronto Maple Leafs games and he had tickets right behind the one net, just a couple of rows up and, those anyone else who had season tickets in that area must have just hated it because it was always just a swarm of people around him just wanting to ask questions or talk or take a picture and Walter would be happy to stand there and chat with all of them but if you'd have been sitting behind him I'm sure it wasn't a great seat I I, like I said I don't think Walter never met a person he didn't want to talk to (laughs) and 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 uh, if he had the chance to do it he was going to do it I I just saw in the Brantford Spazer actually Maddie I guess the one thing that they're going to do um uh, because of the pandemic, um, they're not going to be able to uh, um, obviously have any kind of service or, or, or anything for Walter right now. So I guess they're going to what they want to do, though, I guess uh, in the paper, they're saying that uh, they'd like all the citizens, citizens in Brantford, I guess, to do uh, uh, what happened after that, uh, the, the tragedy out west. And, and oh. I guess they want to do like a final stick stick tap for uh, for Wally. I like, so they'd like everyone to leave the stick out. Yeah. So I guess that's going to happen in Brantford. Probably, uh, you know, Wayne's been gone for so long, the joke's been made a thousand times that Walter's the real famous Gretzky around Brantford. Ever, yeah. There's only one W. Gretzky in Brantford. Well, you know, they haven't named a school after Walter uh, after Wayne yet, but they have named one after Walter, so I guess go. that sort of puts Wally on top. <laughs> um, this has been great, Mick. I, I, you know, I when I heard the news last night, obviously you're sad like everybody else, but I knew with your dealings around the school and then with uh, having him to some of the tournaments, he said that, that you know, it's been hosted even outside of, of the W. Ross umbrella, things like that. I knew you'd have um, 
some takes yeah. and some stories. I knew you'd known them pretty well, and you were definitely somebody I wanted to reach out to and get your uh, your thoughts today. Yeah, and you know, Maddie, um, you know, like the whole Gretzky family, like they're uh, they're just Brantford people. Like, like, like they really, they really are. They're they're not. Um, they don't. You know, they're, they're all they're all here except for Wayne, obviously. But I mean, like, like you know, Glennie, um, Brent, Keith. Even though you know Keith is back and forth to Edmonton, like they're just they're just a salt of the earth people. Like, like, like you know, they don't carry on in the airs or anything. You know what I mean? Sure. They're just they're just normal people, and 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 uh, you know, obviously, obviously, they're all brought up well, and you can tell, you know, what the, what a great job Phyllis and Walter did with those kids. Yeah, well, I'll miss seeing them every uh, April thrown in the first ball at the uh, at the junior tournament. So, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Like exactly. you say, he would always show up. Never any fanfare. Never, you know, he just would sit. He'd do his thing at the ceremony and then socialize with everybody and spend all kinds of time just chatting. It, something that'll be missed for sure. You got that right, Maddie. Um, it, it's pretty hard to, uh, you know, there's he's left a legacy. You know, not just in Brantford or at the W Ross, but I think in Canada. No and I don't that. think any, I don't think anyone that's ever met him would ever have anything bad to say about him. It is crazy, eh? like you watch all these old documentaries on you know the Salt Lake yeah. City Olympics that Wayne was, um, you know, ran the team there for for whatever, or the different international things or And there's always somewhere in the background, there's Walter just smiling, happy to be there, yeah. and and like people don't know, like he'd he'd get like you were talking about with the kids, he had no trouble just singing to people or dancing like just this fun loving guy right that you just don't picture or expect yeah. but there he was always just to look to make people smile so like i said i, I maddie i bet you he raised millions of dollars for, from the different things that he went to he'd never say no to anything right this has been awesome mick like i said i i really appreciate you making some time and yeah. um i i know very few people who got the chance to uh you know, to work with Walter and, and help him bring so much joy into a lot of people's lives around yeah. the school there and around the tournament. So thanks for making a little time today. Yeah, not a problem. And also, Maddie, like, he never missed a grad from the year that, um, I, I think I might have said, but from the year that him and Wayne got involved, he came to the grad. I think because he wanted to come to the dinner and sit with all the female <laughs> staff. But he just, oh, he just loved ladies. He just loved ladies. You know what it was like at those sports. Like, I put Tina, I said, Tina, go sit with Wayne. I was Walter and, and, and he just loved being around women <laughs> you know? and he did like, like, you know what I mean? But he, and he loved to eat. So there's like, like, it's crazy. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, he just, uh, he never missed a graduation banquet. You know, you know what I mean? Up to the pandemic. Right. And like I said, it's the last one, like you could just see how frail he was getting and stuff, but he wouldn't miss that. Like that. So proud to do stuff like that. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah, always there to uh, to support the kids at uh, at the school. It was incredible. So yeah, uh, no, it's, it's a decent human being. Something you don't find a lot out of in Brantford. I mean, this is Brantford. You could ask. You know, if twenty percent of the people in Brantford thought Mick Ferris was a good guy, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But a hundred percent of the people in Brantford are going to say Walter's just the greatest guy ever. No disagreements here. Uh, that was wonderful. Um, one of the things that Mick brought up after we had finished recording there, was the idea of the Wayne Gretzky Award, which is presented uh, at the end of every year to a student at W. Ross McDonald's School for, um, you know, accomplishment in sport, but also sportsmanship and dedication and all these things. And for decades, it was the only award anywhere that Wayne Gretzky had agreed to lend his name to. Now, I believe in the last five years or so, um, the OHL has added a Wayne Gretzky award, um, 
So that's no longer the case. But th- that stemmed from Walter attending the school, seeing some of these kids competing in track and field or wrestling or whatever it might be, and, and you know, competing hard and in, at, at times defeating their sighted counterparts from other high schools around the area. And Walter told Wayne that this was a worthwhile thing for him to lend his name to um, back in his hometown. And so, like I said, for years and years, it was the only trophy um, Mick pointed out to me that Wayne lent his name to uh, until this OHL award came in uh, in the last five years or so. So just really an incredible thing um, that meant a lot to an awful lot of students. And and like Mick said, never missed a, a graduation ceremony or a sports banquet. He would be there to hand out the Wayne Gretzky Award of Sportsmanship. And that was half the thrill for these kids, right? It wasn't just receiving this award and being honored but having Walter be the one there to present it to them, taking pictures and, and just, you know, asking them, these kids about um, what was going to be next, right? And, and getting to know them a little bit. So just incredible. Uh, thank you so much to Mick Ferris for doing that. Um, like I said, guys tied into just about every sport there is across. Brantford has been doing it for years and years. Um, still training young up-and-coming athletes. Uh, just an incredible guy. Um and I, like I said, I couldn't think of anybody better to come on and tell the story of Walter Gretzky's relationship with the W. Ross McDonald School for the Visually Impaired. So no real easy way to transition out of that, but um, we will try, as is the nature of the show. Uh, let's talk about something ridiculous to lighten things up a little bit. And there's always something ridiculous on, on Twitter. My favorite story of this past week was the story of Lola Bunny. And her desexualization. Um, I'm not sure I noticed as a kid watching the movie back in the, how she was sexualized. I mean, the, she wore shorter shorts and kind of a halter top kind of deal. And but but she would kick ass, right? There's a scene where she comes in, embarrasses all the guys, and tells Bugs, "Don't call me doll," right? And and walks out, hits a couple big shots in the original Space Jam Championship game. But I guess in Space Jam 2 in, in 2021, she's going to wear more, I guess, like the long basketball shorts and the, you know, the same kind of jersey as everybody your else. Five, your Fab Five shorts. Sure. Um, man, I got to tell you, as is always the case, there are people flipping out over, oh, it's just a cartoon for Christ's sake. Just leave her alone. And what this is one of my favorite. We're actually arguing online over whether it's okay to portray this children's figure cartoon bunny as a sexy as a sex object or not in the next Space Jam movie. I I love this story, man. Why? Well, this is so I'm going to be honest with you, I've never seen Space Jam. Oh my god. Now, it came out in 96. Ah, that puts me right around 23ish. That's ah, too not cool really for much. school. Yeah, it's not my deal. I'm more I, appalled I, at your complete failure as a parent that you did not sit your children down for this even years later. A classic, man. <laughs> yeah, and somehow it didn't make it into, uh, you know, I, I know for sure with my son, it was it was wall-to-wall Nemo. Man, that was, <laughs> that was, you could not get anything else in between those, right? And so, um. But yeah, no, never saw it. Now, of course, I am aware of, of Lola and and I'm like, whatever. And, and it's right there. It's in the bunny thing, right? Whether it's Jessica Rabbit, whether it's whatever your deal is, it is this 
you know, sexual thing. I don't know what's it's weird, right? I, I I can't speak to it. But I think I I take a bit of issue, a bit of issue, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there with with the, the new director of of the 2021 version who's saying I looked back at the 96 version and I was appalled at the sexuality. Yeah, settle of it. down. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. Right. Like if you go back to your original Bugs Bunny and you have the female, you know, uh, what was her name? Whatever, whatever the female bunny was, <laughs> she's always shaking her ass with the upturned tail and you have whatever else. And yep. you, um, yeah. But Peppy yeah. Le Pew chasing around God knows how many painted cats and oh, oh, mon chéri. <laughs> Yeah. Like bugs in drag hitting on yeah. Elmer Fudd. I love bugs yeah, in drag. <laughs> um, but I also have a bit of a track record. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it comes down to, I get it right. You want to move forward to 2021 and you, and you sort of, yeah, women are athletes. Women are great athletes. Sure. Women can hit that game winning shot and w- all that sort of stuff. And you want to move away. But I think when you say things like, I was appalled yes. yeah. at how sexualized it was, you're like. Well, because there's yeah. two separate things happening. First, you're looking at 1996 through 2021 eyes and whatever. We can have that conversation. But you're also looking at this as an adult versus the way children looked at it. Now, I get it. You want to be careful with kids that you're not painting a picture that, you know, only women's athletes can only succeed, you know, looking hot and doing whatever else I get. But I don't think most kids that watch Bugs Bunny are thinking about this quite on the same level that we are. So I'm fine with them wanting to update it and, and desexualize it. But I'm very much like you where the, the hindsight now to look at it and say how disgusting it was and how it just mellow out right like it's okay to update it now without burying the past one this isn't this isn't like some of the other things that bugs bunny's done over the years that don't hold up well right it's a pretty innocent thing the two hillbillies who are probably having sex right swing your partner (laughs) swing your partner by the beard all that sort of stuff right where i i you know it is one of those things where we talked about it with the Disney classics, right? That yes. now carry a, and, and and what they're hoping to do moving forward is in 2021, we go, yeah, women just don't need to be sexualized. Right. That that's, that's a that's given. Fine. And we, yeah. yeah. And we understand that, right. Moving forward, you go, yeah, that, that woman can do all those things. And yep. then she can, we've seen countless, you know, sure. occasions of it, but yeah, I, I think the over-the-top, you know. Yeah, because even in her shorter shorts and her halter top, she still comes in, hits the shot, embarrasses the guys, and walks out, right? Like, yeah. very... So, I again, I, I get it. It just it seems like I want to show it, so much that I'm on the right side of this that I have to be completely yeah. over-the-top. You're just like, can't you just say we wanted to update this and everyone would be like, yeah, all right, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. And see, this is what I'm saying just to double back. So I can, I can, I can be clear on what I was saying was that what you understand as a child, when we go, well, we can't have the jungle book where all those, all those, all those pot smoking, lazy gorillas. And you go, the, the norming effect that that has. And you go, 
you know, women have to be sexy, have to be good looking to be good at their craft. You want to move away from that. Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. But just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Just do it. Make the changes (laughs) and and carry on. Right. You don't need to, and, and you've talked about it before, right? It's, it's all the, you know, the people who feel like they need to tweet out that, I'm on the right side. Yes. I know what's right. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay, man, just make the changes. And that will speak for itself in the end product. This is a great female. This is a great athlete. Yeah. Period. Yeah. No, don't put a female or male on it. <laughs> don't put a blind or, or sighted, whatever it is, bam, good athlete. And that's it. And so that to me was the only thing I took issue with in the article. I am thoroughly amused by the people on the other side, though, too, that this is some crime against whatever. Look, oh, they're going to they're going to make her a dyke is one tweet that I saw. (laughs) She's probably a a brush cut wearing (laughs) lesbian. (laughs) Okay, man, I, I I think you you can be you look at Cassie Campbell. Yeah, man, back in the day. I thought she was incredibly attractive. Right. Great hockey player. Yeah. You can be both of those things. And it's just like, I saw a great tweet and obviously people are having a good time with this. Um, it's like, you know, when writing to, when trying to write an excellent children's movie, uh, he goes, here's my scene from space jam two. And it's LeBron in quotes. Uh, you, Lola, you don't make anyone horny. I respect you for your basketball. And then it's just, <laughs> and then it's just Lola. Thank you. And then everyone replying under, yep, kids will be lining up for that movie. <laughs> like, well, and, and, and the thing is, the one guy who, who tweeted, and it was, I, I don't know what it was. He's like, remake. He's like, yeah, did you remake LeBron's hairline? <laughs> You're like, There's a random drive. Yeah, seriously. Drive by elbow. Sorry about that, King James. Now, you what did, you? you mentioned earlier a name, though, and I... I What's the creepy part? Because that's been the commonest. Why is everybody like, it's really creepy that you're upset that this cartoon bunny is no longer going to be hot. And I'm wondering, is the creepy part that it's a cartoon or that she's a rabbit? Because you mentioned Jessica Rabbit and she's pretty sexual. I still think she's pretty hot. And she, (laughs) she thinks like she's married to a rabbit. So is she creepy? Because she's obviously attracted. Like we got it. Now there's a whole bunch of shit to unpack, man. I... Well, you want to talk about shit to unpack, Matt. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you. We were down pre-pandemic, maybe two, three years ago. We were down at the National Gallery of, of Canada. So right downtown Ottawa. Oh, you lost? Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> it's, it's domestic. It's domestic. Oh, okay. Points, my friend. <laughs> domestic dollars being earned right here. Uh, and the Earl of Sussex is right across the street. Get a pint gotcha. of, get a pint of coffee for stuff. you over here. <laughs> but anyways, the, they they had at the time, uh, and it may be a permanent ex- exhibition, they had in the basement was the First Nations sort of um, gallery. Right. And so, you know, you have all your stuff you would expect to see, your Haida art and your Anakshaks and blah, blah, blah. But there was a picture right by the door. And honestly, if I could get it, I would get a, I'd get a picture of this. It was called Caribou from Behind. <laughs> yeah and it's exactly what you think you're thinking it's it's the ass end of a of a of a caribou i, I go to the back of your rogers video and go into that room behind the curtain and yeah, yeah. hey what I, the hell is this i assume it's a female 
But but the the caribou is, and I can't remember if the caribou is looking back. But anyways, it's the ass end of this caribou, and I'm like, that is in in so many ways, it's it's very <laughs> sexual in nature, right? And so I don't know, it's a caribou, but at the end of the day, I've never once thought about. But it, it just it was very sexual in its nature, and so I'm um, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Is it poor form to? title an episode that kicks off talking about the great Walter Gretzky with sexy caribou. Caribou from behind. I got some things to think about here. As we move well, and, and you know what? I just show up on the show and I talk and I leave the rest to Matt. <laughs> great. Matt, Matt is the guy who's going to handle all these other the sort of questions that arise from the damage you've done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, why don't we talk about, speaking of questionable ethics, uh, Mr. Tom Wilson suspended for seven games, uh, by the national hockey league. Um, I, for his, uh, hit on Brandon Carlo, and I'm sure most of you've seen it, right? Um, but if not, we'll, we'll post the video in all the usual places. I do have to start with the fact that earlier today on Sunday, they asked Alex Ovechkin what he thought of the suspension. He said, I thought the call on the ice was correct in that. No penalty. Yeah, no penalty. It wasn't even two minutes. It was fine. Um, and I have to sympathize with Ovi a little bit because he's got to be thinking, I just slashed a man's fun bag wide open and it only cost me my coffee money for tomorrow. So his perspective, he's got to be a little confused as to what's okay and what isn't. Uh, what was your take on the Tom Wilson deal? Fun bag. <laughs> well, less so now. <laughs> there, like, 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 like pressure sealed coffee packs. There's now air where there should never be air. I see. I see. Also, last night that uh, Thatcher Demko almost perforated Justin Hall's <laughs> bag as well as he was skating yes. by. Skating by after a goal. Whack. Sorry about that. It's everywhere now, man. And and he's not going to get any suspension or fine. No. Um. Yeah, the thing is, and the beauty of this is, if you listen to both of the different coaches, Cassidy for the Bruins and, and Laviolette for the Cassidy saying, I'm not sure how that isn't, isn't a penalty. Right. And, La, and Laviolette saying, if that's a penalty, you're taking hitting at a hockey. Yeah. Right. That's So that's the two different a coaches. A little extreme on both ends. For sure it is. And, and the refs on the ice saw it as no penalty. Yeah. They huddled up. And it was still no penalty. Yep. And I'm going to tell you right now, Matt. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now, and, and good listener, come along with us. If that is any of the other 80% of the NHL who delivers that hit, it's probably not even mentioned. Hmm. But the, okay, wait, just wait. I'm listening, just, yeah. Just, just follow That's my pondering here. noise, that's all. Yeah, but because <laughs> it's Tom Wilson who is an alpha predator and, and really at, at his size and the way he skates yeah, he'll and, hurt you. And, and, he, and he's out there to hurt you. Yeah. To me, he is, I can't think of anybody who is more in that category than him. If you look at a league consisted of many tough men, mm -hmm. that guy is, this is likely the scariest in terms of skill set yes. and physicality that he like brings. Reeves right? can't skate like that or score like that. Or, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so if it's if it's Drake Batherson delivering that hit, 
or, or Willie Nylander, yeah, of course, or, or whoever it is, yeah, yeah. It, it's not being delivered the same way with the same bad intentions. And, and Carlo is likely the hit is fine in that instance, but because Wilson is driving forward with it, he's got bad intentions all the way through. He drives up and through hands to the head, like to me and twists. It's the twist at the end. Yeah. And just to be clear, I agree 100% on the suspension. Like to me, but because, because it's him, uh, I think because it's him, because of the ferocity of which that's delivered. Did you see headlines uh, I, on Saturday? I did. And, and I, I did. Uh, Elliot, I guess, is saying that this went forward under the boarding and not the headshot Correct. rule. Um, which I guess is just it. When I heard that, look, I do think I, I, I probably have a double standard there, right? I, I thought it was a dirty hit, but I'm probably influenced by the fact of who's delivering it, right? So when I heard that they were going after this on the boarding thing and not the headshot thing, it almost felt like the NHL looking for how do we get them here? Like, okay, we probably don't have a leg to stand on here, but if we come at it from over here, we can probably still send the message we want to send to this guy. When's the last time you saw a boarding call where somebody wasn't facing the boards? Yeah, uh, it's not often. Hey, and, and, I, and, and to me, the, the problem is, as I said, if 80% of the league delivers us a, a hit in that situation, we're not talking about it. Because I think so, eight, but, but don't you think, though, that if 80% of the rest of the league does that, and a different referee says that's two minutes, and then a different referee in a different situation says that's five minutes... I don't really have a problem with that either. Like, it's kind of one of those borderline hits that, you know, in this case, the suspension is because it's him, but I'm not sure that's a clean hit. And I think it, you're open to interpretation with different referees. And I don't think two or five would have been out of, like, would have been crazy either. Right. I, and I think you see that in in the league's ruling. Yeah. They talk about the the gray area between defensible and indefensible, right? And and this hit is really there. And I think what happens is with Carlo sort of pinned against the boards with the puck at his feet, his lower body pinned is really well. Yeah. They're sort of in that fight. And, and I think most other guys aren't laying that hit. I think really that's a big part to, of it, yeah. Yeah, and, and and then not only are they not laying it, He's a victim of what you see in minor hockey, which is big boy hockey, little little kids, right? You have, and and my son was was as somebody who was six inches taller than every other kid in minor hockey. Sometimes we're both going for the same puck, and boom, your kid falls, <laughs> and then you go, bam, that's a penalty. And you're like, what? You're both looking for the same puck, but all I'm suggesting the comparison here is Tom Wilson is such a beast. Yeah, I think I, I don't think it's a size thing. I think he's more ferocious when he does it yeah, than yeah. a lot of people. I, Ag I, agreed, yeah. agreed. And and I think what he brings, the element of 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 physicality that he brings, is is more than anybody else. And he just doesn't and, deserve the benefit of the doubt anymore. That's his well, biggest issue. They talked about they talked about the that twenty game suspension yeah. having sort of a threefold escalator on it, yeah. right? Which is 
hey, man, if that's anybody else, you're getting six games probably. Sure. But because you have a track record, you are getting 20 because you you will have a past, you know, a, a track record that yeah. says. And so I am not here to defend Tom Wilson, and I'm certainly not. Um, but I think because all of the things that he brings makes this so much worse than if if it's somebody else. Probably, and more, yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, we talked about the William Nylander or the Drake Batherson guys who are going through that they are either they're they're certainly not going hey there's an opportunity so i think that is also the part that they're trying to peel back yeah 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 you're right but everything that came before this too right in the game before earlier in in this like (gasps) there was things boiling over and all of a sudden guys on both teams are running around and when one of them because this just as easily could have been brad marchand and while he's sort of cleaned up his act a little bit in the last couple of years, he's not getting the benefit of the doubt either. If you do something fucking stupid in a game like that, we all knew it was going to be you and you're getting slammed, man. Like certain guys just have that reputation, but after three games like they had played, you know, and it just kept building up and getting dirtier and dirtier and the refs weren't putting a stop to it. All right. Something stupid was going to happen. Game yeah. management doesn't fucking yeah. work, man. Well, and see, and that that is that comes down to the refs, and and that's the that's the thing that we all talked about before the season. Oh, just wait when you get into these three yes. games playoff series, and we haven't seen a pile of it in the north, which is where we thought we would see right more of it. At least that's where Pierre Dorian thought he would see more of it. <laughs> um, but that sort of thing, and you go, I, I just think because it's Wilson and all that he brings, and again. He doesn't target the head initially, with the, with, the, but he drives up. He may not leave his feet, but his hands come up. Well, this is it, right? This has reopened this whole debate, and the the league is left to this confusing. Is it the head being the main point of contact or the first point of contact? Because it he doesn't hit the head first. He right. He gla- grazes the sh- kind of front shoulder or whatever, but then blasts through the fucking head. Right? Yeah. So if that's going to let you off the hook, that's yeah. a terrible fucking rule. right? Like, and, and again, to me, it is, it's, it's suspendable and it's a penalty. It's all those things. So I, I'm just talking about the, you know, the overall, this hits not going away. You're going to see hits like that all the time. That will likely be a two minute penalty moving forward, but not leave the devastating outcome that Brandon Carlo was experiencing because it was Tom Wilson delivering it. Right. The Calgary Flames, I don't know, a somewhat underwhelming start. And it feels like only a start, but we are like halfway through the fucking season. And they are about to be punished. Well, they've been punished. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Here's Daryl Sutter, your new coach. And you will do what he wants you to do. This feels to me, um, especially on the heels of what Montreal did, and, and they brought in like a young coach, a communicator, right? Like a guy who's willing to grow with some of these guys um, as Montreal a, has a lot of young pieces and, and more of them coming. Calgary is sort of in this, especially after the free agent signings they made, in this more of a win now place. And Daryl Sutter is that guy, right? He's going to come in and I think he's going to whip the horses hard there to see is this core, you know, something that we can move forward with and start to contend with, or is it time to be torn down? 
Um, I was sort of blown away, man, when I saw that Daryl Sutter was coming in there. Um, it's not a Daryl Sutter looking team. It doesn't look like those that last time he coached Calgary. It doesn't look like what LA looked like. But I do think this was a, you know, the last bullet for Brad Treliving with this core. If this guy can't get this group going, then this group's probably irredeemable. I think I think that it's the, you're spot on. Um, I'm watching uh, on on Saturday night. Ron McLean is interviewing Daryl Sutter, and you go, that guy's face has so much scar tissue on it. And he's got that crazy, you know, <laughs> I've got to a certain vintage where my eyelids are now going to almost close my close my eyes up yeah. and, <laughs> entirely. And he's looking over the computer too, right? So you're sort of looking up at Daryl's face and you're like, man. And, and, it, and it harkens me back to, to John Barrett, who was on and, and him talking about attending a um, an NHLPA conference and he's meeting the Sutters at the airport. So it's Daryl and it's, it's Dwayne, I think. And, and he goes, and you see these three guys coming towards you. He says, they're coming up the escalator. I'm meeting him at the airport in Detroit or wherever it was. And he's like, one guy's got an ear that's bigger than the other one. And they, and they just, he's like, where, where did these guys like come the fucking from? fucking Hanson's coming at you. Is, this is it, right? And you're like, man, oh man. And Sutter is going to bring all that he has to this, which I've said, after that 5-1 Ottawa victory last week sometime where they beat Calgary for the second time in three games, six, yeah. one and five, one in the two center wins. And, and Calgary just looked super indifferent. Yeah. Right. And, and I listened to uh sports I believe it's six ninety or nine sixty, whatever it is out of Calgary the next morning and super dismissive of Ottawa, which is fine. <laughs> but, but what they are saying at that time, and this was pre Jeff Ward getting fired was they're saying it's time for this ownership group here in Calgary to get off their wallet and get a real coach. And at that point, like I said, Jeff Ward has not been fired. Yep. And I'm not suggesting that Daryl Sutter is them getting off their wallet, but they're saying other than Daryl Sutter, and they went through the whole list of, and honestly, I can't even, well, Don, you've had Hay, your, yeah. Don Hay was in there. and Jim Playfair has been in there recently. Like, honestly, man, yeah. like, <laughs> And so what they're saying is they've bargained basement all their coaches, yeah. right? All the way along. And they're saying, when is this, when is this organization gonna gonna belly up and and do the right thing and, and get a coach in here? And they're saying Glenn Gullickson, you know, that was the other name that was gonna Gullickson, make me crazy. Yeah. And for sure. And so they're sort of saying, oh, Mike Keenan was another one. Yes. Bob, <laughs> Bob Hartley was another yep. one. And both those guys, the last two, are guys that nobody other nobody else would touch. Yep. Right. And, and they said Bob Harley is a guy who the players locked him out of the change room to celebrate the Stanley Cup victory. They're like, fuck you, buddy. Dwayne Sutter or Terrell Sutter, you mean, not Bob Hartley? No, I mean Bob Hartley in Colorado. Oh, okay. And they're saying. I thought I heard the same thing about Terrell Sutter one night being locked out of the LA locker room. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and so what they're going to get now is, is I think everybody outside of Southern Alberta sees the that 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 core group and if you want to drill right down specifically onto Monaghan and Goudreau mm -hmm. it's it's kind of run its course man you need to you need to really shake the tree there and and I agree with you 100% that true living is saying all right 
before we launch either or both of these sort of core pieces here, we're going to bring in, you know, the drill sergeant ranch hand. Yeah. You know, and he's going to come in here and he's going to, he's going to make you play. And and the, the quote that Ron dropped on Terrell yesterday to me was gold when Milan Lucic was in with the Kings. And he's like, yeah, Milan six hits a night. Not good enough. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) You better be laying the body all the time. Right. And yeah, like six is a, six is a pretty vigorous night in today's today's NHL. And so you're, you're looking at, you're looking at an outfit that I'm not sure is built that way. No, it's not at all. Like you, you mentioned a few names there, but Lindholm also part like uh, Anderson on the back end. Like they're not a rugged team. And that's Hannah, Hannah Finn, all those guys. Yeah. That's now he said, I believe during that Ron interview that he loves the goalies they have. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, I think this is before we blow up this core, we're going to take a shot, but this is not a, a Daryl Sutter team. So I'll be fascinated to, to see what that looks like, man. But to me, this is almost, almost a fuck you to the team from the GM, right? Yeah. This is how, you know, you use the word indifferent in that Ottawa series. Um, this is how you want to do it. This is what you get. And and now maybe there'll be guys hoping to be traded out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's now it's New Jersey's, you know, favorite son Johnny Gaudreau, right? Who's saying, "Hey, is there any chance I could get on Philadelphia? Is there? (laughs) What What are we doing here with?" uh, But it's it's yeah. In terms of how teams are, because he's gonna he's gonna drive them. Yep. He's gonna drive them, and it was interesting. He said he likes Sam Bennett. Yeah, I bet. I'll, Sam Bennett might be the only guy in that room who's pumped right now. Yeah. Well, and and I think in, in – I shouldn't say in fairness. I think what you're looking at in Calgary is they are better than their sure record. Yeah. I, I believe. And and once Markstrom gets back, Riddich has not been good. Uh, as, right? a, I, as a Leaf guy, I would tell you <laughs> pretty good against us. Yeah. and and that's a, But that's a super outlier, right? Yeah, sure. And, 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 you know, he rolled into Ottawa and got smoked. Yep. Right. And so it, it comes down to that's just bad night, Toronto, good night, Calgary, good save, Dave, big save, Dave, as, <laughs> as opposed to no save, Dave right. rolled into Ottawa. Um, like even in, in Riddich's wins over Ottawa, he's allowed three goals. Right. Like, so you just sort of go, but Markstrom is back now. I see he, you know, he was in net on Saturday night against Edmonton. Yeah. I think I think that that will a good goalie makes a big difference, right? In terms, hey, way to go, man! There's Johnny Obvious. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, but but that will I think he he brings their goals against down per game. I, I look for with the addition of of Sutter, you're going to see a surge. But yeah, I, there's I think, always a bump. Well, and 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 with the reintroduction of Markstrom, yeah. I think that I think you are looking at. The two are going to coincide nicely, right? Sure. And so, um, but that team needs a change, right? You and I, and we never got to it, but we talked about uh, creating, if you were an NHL player, creating a 10-team. No trade list. No trade list. Calgary was on my on my no trade list, mostly because they are one of those teams 
that is seems to be forever treading in that water of we're contending now, but we're not really contending, right? Our flooded arena. <laughs> yeah, like it just in terms of yeah, we're going for it, but yeah, we don't really have anything to go for. Like we're not really. And so to me, that's a team that you don't want to go to who's forever in limbo and and they need to, yeah, they need to make a move and not just a Goudreau for a Taylor Hall or whatever that looks like. They need to make, they need to do the bottom out, right? At this point now, they, they've been running off this. They haven't, they've won one playoff round since 04. Yep. You got to change, man. You got to, you got to make a move. Tell me about the green stripes. The green band on the, uh, and I'm not sure if that's a, if it's a heel, uh, hockey Eastern Ontario, or if it's an OHA initiative, but it's, they're, they're going with green armbands on the arms of officials who are 18 and under. So that dumbass hockey parents and likely hockey coaches who, have have lost touch with reality. <laughs> we'll understand that they're dealing with a minor when they're when there's when there's watching the game. They're reading the referee. <laughs> this is it, right? And so to me, I, I think it's a it's a great initiative. At least it's 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 it'll be jarring enough to go, yeah, all right. And I've been in I've been in house league games where parents are chanting and jeering the ref. And sometimes it's deserved, but you know we're talking about older, older guys. Right. Um, but minor hockey is riddled with with teenage referees and linesmen. Yeah, for and, sure. And I think the green armband is a is a great initiative. Just just to say, hey man, one last just, chance to grab hold of reality and understand when you're coming unhinged, who's on the other end of it. <laughs> right. And, and 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 I say this. And, and I am sensitive as somebody who's been a hockey parent and a hockey coach, right? I, I have, I've been on both sides of it. And, and the reality is, I think for the most part, hockey is, is very regulated, right? Everybody has to go through courses, coaches for sure. Uh, parents all have to sit down and do a questionnaire a survey you know a survey and a and a questionnaire saying you know this is what i understand this is what how i will behave um i've been at i've been at competitive soccer games i've been at i've been at competitive minor football games and the shit that i've heard in minor soccer and minor football would far far exceed what I've heard in a hockey arena, right? I've heard way worse things from parents at soccer and football games. So why do you think it is that hockey has the reputation then? uh, Because it is the focal point. Yeah. Right. It is, it is the, it's what we all talk about. Everybody's kids play hockey. Right. And we talked about it last week with the Pagoulas. Everybody thinks that they can be a a hockey manager and, uh, Right, that thing that that gets the focus. Right, I'm at a minor football game. Um, it's it's either playing before my son's playing or after my son's playing, and I'm listening to some guy say, "Kill that guy, kill that guy," and you're like, "That's a 12 year old." And you're Maybe like, "Man, he's up a little." Yeah, you need to take a step back and fully appreciate 
Like who are you? This isn't Roman gladiators we're talking about. <laughs> this is somebody else's kid who's going to go to sleep in his Montreal Canadiens pajamas tonight or whatever. And then yeah, like, kill that kid. <laughs> and and you're yelling, kill that kid. And you're like, man, you need to, you need to seriously take a step back. And and you look at what these what these minor minor league officials are doing. And and I think back to my first year coaching minor lacrosse. I'm coaching eight and nine-year-olds. And I, I don't know how many experiences more stressful <laughs> than that. That was like that was like Hudson Bay. And this is house league box <laughs> lacrosse. It was like Hudson Bay rules, man. Like you have parents shrieking in the, in the stands. I have eight and nine-year-olds fighting on the on the floor and I'm like where the hell am I, man? What the hell is going on here? But those games, those eight and nine-year-olds are being refed by 12 and 13-year-olds. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember my best player at the time, who was also like a, a can of kerosene on the floor. Like he was starting fights. He was <laughs> like, honestly, he's, I'm telling this kid, okay, just ignore it when you get out there, you know. We're gonna we're gonna beat these guys on the power play, take the penalties. He's like, Yeah, coach, yeah, coach. He's nine years old. Right. He gets out, and the first thing he does, he's chucking uppercuts. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I just told you like 30 seconds ago. I like his spirit. Anyways, and his dad <laughs> is yelling at me over the glass behind the bench, and I'm like, I'm trying to control eight and nine-year-old kids and this guy who was an Ottawa police officer for the record. And if you're listening, you know who you are. And I'm like, so all at the same time, I have this 12 or 13 year old guy. One of my players takes an offensive charge, which to me, I was like, what? <laughs> an offensive charge. Anyway, so I'm calling him over and I am adult mm. and I'm talking to this guy and, and he's like, no, no. No. And I remember being impressed with this kid, right? Holding this his ground. Just, he knew the rules better than I did. Right. And, and he did. Right. And, and he wasn't taking any shit. And I can't remember what he said to me at the end, but I was like, yeah, all right. I get that. You know <laughs> what? And if I, and, and, and if I hear any more from you, you know, there's a two minute bench penalty or yeah. whatever it was. Right. And, and I was like, yeah, man, the kid's right. The kid's <laughs> right. And, but to me, it was, that is a great learning ground. And I think all these people, all of us need to just pull back just a bit. Take about 20% offer. Take about 20% <laughs> off for sure. I think that's totally valid. <laughs> um, I'm looking here just before we wrap up. It was a, uh, the NBA All-Star game goes tonight as we're sitting here to record. Oh, shit, Matt. I wanted to wrap this up because, A, there was some Briar highlights yeah. and NBA basketball All-Star game. I was like, I need to be making time for that shit. No, I don't, actually. Why don't you just... What, any more out of you? Two-minute bench penalty. <laughs> I've heard that before. Yeah. Um, the reason I bring it up is that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid have been removed from the game for protocol, uh, COVID protocol reasons, possible exposure, and won't be playing in this All-Star game. That never should have fucking happened to begin with. Uh, both members of the Philadelphia 76ers, so uh, no info yet on where the exposure may have happened. Um, but throughout this weekend, 
there's been problems with, you know, they've found out, go figure, players are attending parties around Atlanta. Uh, now you have possible exposure. And it occurs to me that while it seems unlikely, it is not <laughs> impossible that the NBA has brought all their best players to one arena, created a super spreader, and is then sending them back home where every team will now have lost its top fucking player, man. I don't know what you're doing in 2021 holding an all-star game like this. Seems like a terrible idea, but already, um, before they've even started the game, problems. Well, Adam Silver, who I think is 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 a forward-thinking commissioner, this is, and, and I get it. Forward-thinking, we got to make some fucking money here. Yeah, well, and, and this is it, right? It comes down to the filthy dollar, right? In terms of you need to host this, TNT is pressuring you, whatever the deal is. Um, but even the dumbass NFL realized Pro Bowl, probably not a great not idea this really year. great. Right, and so you go, yeah, I'm going to bring all my players to Atlanta which apparently has the strip joint with the best wings. Apparently, man, great wings. <laughs> the Atlanta isn't, Peelers. <laughs> isn't that where the buddy left the bowl? Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. He's like, well, the wings were fantastic. And you're like, yeah, okay, man. I kind of went, I, I get it. <laughs> well, for sure, man. Good wings. Wings and breasts. We're all down. We get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're like, now you're hosting the all-star game in the same city with all those sweet wings <laughs> in the strip joints. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a terrible idea. Uh, I get it that you're you're the same reason, and I, and I, I can I can chastise the NBA for this, but the reality is all the leagues are playing games this year for the same reason. Whether yep. it's the NFL, the NHL, MLB, for and sure. NBA, they're, they're playing it for the networks and they're playing it for the bucks. And if they think that people, you know, the lip service that we're doing this for the fans, baloney. Of course. Yeah, you're doing it for the network dollars. So, but all these leagues have worked so hard to keep their teams, you know, in these bubbles when they travel and stuff. And now you're just going to throw them all into one Chuck E. Cheese ball pit and then send them back to their fucking. Yeah. But again, terrible, man. As I said, you can give all the lip service to, oh, we're, we're, we're doing all this to keep everything safe and. The reality is they're doing it all for the bucks and they'll do what they can to keep it on a day-to-day basis. But you know, they're gonna they're gonna toe the line, they're gonna push the line on this and 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 see what happens. It's well, ridiculous. We will all see what happens. Uh that's good for another episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. Uh I don't know what else is coming up this week, honestly. We'll see. <laughs> 801. It'll it'll drop for you sometime. But uh 801. Yeah. On to the next 800. Yeah. Oh, it, it's, it's, it's the easy cruise from here to a thousand miles. Sweet. Think about it. A thousand. And, and I, I think there has to be, you know, 800 episodes. That's gotta be, that's gotta be 1600 pints. Cause there's been, if you throw, if you throw the, if you throw the shows with Andy Nita in there, those, those yep. have now. Those have now. No, that's picked, true. Tilts the scale back the other way. Kicks up the average big time. Um, Six points on the show. And we put away more than a couple of Labatt fifties when John Barrett was in studio. So honestly, it's it's and so for those of you who pull back the curtains a bit, it's dark in the studio a bit. Yep. And so um, 
you know, I always like to have a light to consult my notes sure. for all the cracker research. We got a little reading lamp here. on Rob's side of the desk there. <laughs> yeah. And so John's on my side and we had, we had 12 fifties. And so I'm reaching for where I expect there to be a 50 and there's not. And then he's nudging me. He's like, I took your beer. Sorry about that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's over there drinking my beer and I'm looking for, uh, there was a beer there. No, it's gone. It's been taken. So that's that's a previous generation showing us how to do it. Yeah, that's where we'll wind this one down. Uh, episode 800. Like, like I said, stick around later this week. We'll have something for you. We always do. It'll, it'll drop wherever you're listening to this one, so make sure you hit the subscribe button. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Talkin Audio. And for Rob, I'm Matt. That's episode 800. We'll see you next time. See ya! And as it started to fade out And as we're headed underground Well, there's a pessimistic side of me That knows that this might never turn itself around Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCanAudio on your favorite podcast app.